I see a little irony, you may see it a little bit as we talk today about the message, because I fell on Tuesday afternoon, but I'd already had four pages of notes. I knew exactly where I was going for Sunday, and I'm thankful for the Lord to help me know that early. But see if you see some irony here, because I, I had this uh, example. Got a couple examples to kick off, but before you do, turn to the book of 1 Peter. When you get to the book of 1 Peter, you want to go to chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 here in just a few minutes. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,393, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. As I was studying earlier this week, I was reminded of a uh, time in high school. Zeke, you didn't know this, but I played football in high school. I wasn't any good, but they let me practice, and I got to dress up and be on the field and play some, but not much. But I can remember practice, and I was a junior, and the quarterback was a senior, and his name was Malcolm. And we had had practice, and sometimes in practice, you practice over in this area of the field, or you practice over in this area of the field. And you got all these tackling dummies that you would have over here, and then when you get done with that, you just throw them all on the ground. Well, Malcolm, being the quarterback, he sent this freshman wide receiver running down the field to throw a pass. And Malcolm said to those of us upperclassmen around, he said, watch this. And he went, and he started throwing him on a corner pattern right there, right toward all those blocking dummies. And he lofted it out there, and that wide receiver's turning to catch the ball, and about the time he goes to catch the ball, he runs into all the tackling dummies and just goes head over head over head, and it just falls. And they're sitting right there going, Lord, I know that's how I was going to open this up on Monday. How ironic on Tuesday. <laughs> I get to experience this firsthand. But he caused him to stumble on purpose. Then I was reminded of a, another story uh, that my sons told me. They were on a trip a few years ago with the family, and I wasn't there, but they said that they were at this uh, fall area, F-A-L-S, this falls area, but they were climbing, and so they decided there were no signs. So they started climbing on these walls, and they were older by then, and then all of a sudden this little boy liked what they were doing, and he started climbing with them. When my boys were old enough, they realized this is probably not safe for him, but they realized the only way to not cause him to potentially fall was to get off themselves. And so they stepped off, got away from doing that, and the little boy walked away as well. Do you know sometimes we can trip people up on purpose? Sometimes we can cause people to stumble by accident. Church, I'm going to tell you that we need to be careful not to cause anyone to stumble. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 as we begin to set the tone of walking into what God has for us today. But 1 Peter, chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, 
In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account of they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Keep your scripture open right there. We're going to be here in a number of other places. I was going to have us turn to a number of scriptures this morning, but we're not going to do that. It's difficult for me to turn to a lot of the scriptures. So I've asked them, thank you, Andrew, for putting all these scriptures up on the screen for us. When we get to those points, I'll call for them. So you won't see any until we're ready. But, but just look, do a quick Bible study of these verses. Verse 1 says, that because of Jesus, because of what he suffered, because of what he did for us, because of us coming to know him, that we should have the same mind. Due to our relationship with Christ, we have been changed. It is we who should be changed to be more like Christ instead of us seeking to shape Christ into the image that we may want him to be. Same mind. That mind being we need to have the mind of Christ, the thinking of Christ, the motivation of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says it this way, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Church, Peter says it, and Paul says it. Verse 2 says, we're not to live for ourselves, but we are to live for the will of God. Look at what verse 3 said. It just caught my attention early on. We've spent enough of our life doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, I don't know about your testimony and how you came to know the Lord, but I've talked with enough people that I know that some people have lived long. I've talked with somebody this week, actually, who's lived a long, long life apart from God. And then when they came to know God, they became very serious about their relationship with the Lord. And one of the reasons they said is they said, well, for so long, I lived my life for me. And that's what Peter is saying right here is we've spent enough of our life doing the will of the Gentiles or the will of the world. Before Christ, we've lived our whole lives for ourselves, including many of the things that were listed in verse 3. But I wanted to point out, it says that when we walked in lewdness, lust, and drunkenness, and then it goes on to list other things. Verse 4 goes on to say that they, that would be the people that you used to run with and do these things with. Verse 4 says that they now think it's strange that since you've come to know Christ, your life has changed, that you're not doing the things that you used to do, or I hope that you're not doing the things that you used to do. And therefore, others now think it's strange that you are different than what they remember. But Peter goes on to say, because they will give an account to God. Did you know that Scripture teaches that I will stand before God? You will stand before God in that judgment. Now, I know based upon my relationship with Jesus as my Savior, when I stand before God, it is all paid, clean, ready, eternal life. 
But there are people in this world that do not have faith in Christ. And they will still have to stand before God to give an account, to give a reason. And for this reason, verse 6 says, that's why we preach the gospel. Do you know that one of the reasons that we are a church is because we are called to fellowship together? But one of the reasons we are a church is that God pulls us together to be able to send us out to be able to share the gospel with other people. And those other people that we are to share the gospel with think it's strange. I bet that you thought being a follower of Christ was strange when you weren't a follower of Christ. And now that you have hopefully become a follower of Christ, it's not strange. It is the only thing that's not strange. It is right. And so that's a good challenge for us. And Peter says we've got to be urgent about this because verse 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. So we're called to be serious and watchful. And verse 8 says, above all things. When Peter says above all things, he says, the most important thing, have love for one another. I'd like you to think about these questions as I put them out there. Just based upon those verses. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? And what I have learned to do is ask a better question. Does Jesus know you? Matthew chapter 7. Does Jesus know you by your faith? Secondly, do you desire to have the mind of Christ? Is it a desire you have to be like Jesus? Third question. Are you living like you used to live before Christ? Or are you living new and different as Scripture would teach? And then a fourth thing to consider before we jump into everything else. Are you living in love? Love toward one another. Are you making that a most important thing for you to live like? Now, church, last week we talked about tithing, and I'm so glad to see you come back. <laughs> but last week we talked about tithing, and this week we get to pick another popular topic for Christians today. I think that I have determined that this week that I'm, we're actually, I started last week with thinking that we're in, I'm going to do a, some topical studies before we jump into our next book all the way through. Except God's starting to put something together. Zach and I were talking about it earlier this week. I think that if I had to give this sermon series a title, it might be why. Because last week I talked to you about why or what God's Word says that causes me and Angela to tithe. Well, today, tackling another challenging topic for Christians today, alcohol. You're going, oh. Now, some people last week when I said tithe, they tightened up and couldn't move. And others of you relaxed. Well, it just happened again. These topics are hard. But I'm not going to talk about you as it relates to alcohol. I'm going to talk about what God's Word says to me 
and what I choose and why I choose it so that I can do it. Now, I know this is a hot topic because it's been argued and discussed for thousands of years. Since the Bible doesn't absolutely forbid drinking alcohol, whether someone should drink or not is a personal decision to be made for yourself. See, I wish I could come before you and make this a really short sermon, and you go, Jeff, I wish you could too. But I wish I could make this a really short sermon to tell you to turn to a certain book, a certain chapter, a certain verse where God said, do not under any circumstance drink alcohol. Make my job as pastor a little bit easier. But it doesn't say it that way. The Bible never says that the substance that we would call alcohol in and of itself is evil. I wish it did. Last week, in order to make the point on tithing, I gave all of you a dollar, right? Some of you started checking your bulletins this morning, seeing if there was more money in there. I love the fact that now you're paying more attention to that just because it had something in it last week. But I wrote in my notes right here, and this might be funny or it might be of poor taste. Last week, I gave you a dollar. Today, I'm not giving you a beer. Okay? We're going to have to walk through this together. Church, I will tell you this. I choose not to drink. And today, I want to give you scriptural reasons why I, and by default, why I think you should not drink alcohol. Let's start with the things that I'm not going to discuss this morning. I'm not going to talk to you about the potential health benefits like Paul mentioned to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm not going to talk to you about how God said, Timothy, I mean, Paul said, Timothy, drink a little wine because we could talk about how the water was bad and how the wine was new and how it might make you a little bit. I'm not going to talk to you about the health benefits. I'm not qualified to do that. I don't understand that or not. I'm not going to have a conversation with you about the historical perspective or the future perspective of alcohol, alcohol by volume, proof. I'm not going to try to tell you it was different then or different now. I'm just going to tell you what I have seen in Scripture and other places that helped me decide we're going to do this. And I'm also going to recognize that Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2 was turning the water into wine. And you're going, Jeff, you can't be trying to condemn wine. Jesus made some of it. And I'm not. I've already said, Scripture doesn't say, do not. And another validation, the reason it didn't, Jesus would never have done something that was wrong. And in that day, and in that time, God did this. In that miracle, if you want to go read in John chapter 2, in that miracle, you will see celebration, not intoxication. It does, it, there's no reference to anybody doing anything ill. I talked with somebody, I read somebody, they said, back then, weddings were so big and so many days that that kind of wine spread across that many people and all this stuff, that would have not been anything but refreshments more than anything. It goes in there and it says that they drank well. It doesn't say anything negative about what they did. But the Bible has a lot to say about alcohol and the attitudes that we should have about it. So I wanted to start with a real personal one to me. 
On the screen, you're going to see Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read these for you. There they go. I'm going to read it off the screen back there. Did you know we had a screen right back there? Again, Leviticus 10, 9 through 11 says this. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Now, when you go and you look at the context of Leviticus chapter 10, God is talking to Aaron as he's setting up the priesthood. And he is saying, Aaron, you, the priest, you are not to have. It is very clear. No alcohol, Aaron. It's a clear prohibition and on purpose by God. Look at verse 9. It said, so that, which means that God says, don't do it. And here's the reasons why I don't want you to do it. And when I look at verse 10 and 11, you can see this too. It says, so you can distinguish holy from unholy, so that you can distinguish between clean and unclean, and so that you may teach the statutes of the Lord to the people. You see, the priests in that day were considered the spiritual head of God's people, and the people would turn to them for guidance and direction and expectation for them to lead a life before them that was accurate. And I read this and I'm going, I don't need anything else in Scripture to convict me that I am not to consume alcohol because while I do not claim to be a priest, God has called me to be your pastor. He has called me to shepherd. It's not something I chose. It's something that he chose and put me in position. And I believe that I need to, as the shepherd, be able to distinguish accurately between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. And I need to be able to stand before you and teach God's word on every topic that God brings before us. And so I was convicted by that. So church, one of the reasons I do not drink is so that I can lead you biblically and accurately without challenge before the Lord. Secondly, the Bible does not condemn alcohol, but the Bible teaches over and over and over again about drunkenness. Drunkenness would be having too much alcohol. Ephesians 5.18 tells us not to be drunk because it says that being drunk leads to dissipation. I spoke with somebody earlier this week and they said, what's dissipation mean? Dissipation means a falling away, a lessening of. And it says that when you take alcohol to excess, you are led away from God. Dissipation. Verse 18 said in Ephesians 5.18, that you don't have that scripture, but to be filled with the Spirit. God says you have a choice. You can fill yourself with what you think you want to be filled with, or you can let me fill you, lead you, and guide you by the Spirit. God's Word says in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, that drunkenness is the fruit of the flesh. And church, can I tell you that the fruits of the flesh are not the fruits of the Spirit. And God wants you to be full of the fruits of the Spirit. 
And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10 says that among many drunkards, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Scripture clearly teaches that excess alcohol leading to drunkenness is a sin. Over and over and over and over again. So a second reason that I do not consume alcohol is because it leads to drunkenness, and drunkenness leads to moving away from God, and it's a sin. Drunkenness leads to the third thing. You know, drunkenness is a situation. It's possible that someone in this room or someone online or someone listens to this, you had a good Saturday night. Your Saturday night was so good that you're thinking, I'm screaming at you right now. But can I tell you that drunkenness is not the only thing God's Word tells us to stay away from in alcohol. Because, see, drunkenness is a situation. It is a, a one-time or a, it's not a lifestyle. It's a choice. It's an individual choice. But Scripture goes on to say that alcohol can become a source of addiction. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says this, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray is not wise. You see what that said? It said that a prolonged use of alcohol leads you astray. See, leading astray is not a temporary bad decision. Last night. Leading astray is an over and over and over again decision where you become lost off the path of where God would have you to be. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 4 and 5 says that intoxicating drink can lead to the forgetting of God's laws and the perversion of justice. 2 Peter 2.19, Peter writes that many of the things of this world, including drunkenness, enslave us in corruption. says that we become overcome in bondage. Now, for many, many years... I can go back 20 years ago when the Lord started calling me into uh, ministry for those that were having addiction-type challenges, not just with alcohol, but alcohol was a major one. And I've shared this with you before, that I don't believe anybody who is currently addicted to alcohol, I don't believe, I don't think they believed on the morning that they started drinking for the very first time that they were getting ready to wreck their lives. I think they just started. And then they needed more, and then they needed more, and then life happened, and they needed more, and it became a coping mechanism, or whatever you want to say. But the reality is, is that they never set out to end up where they are. And that's what Scripture says can happen. Alcohol can become a mocker. It can lead you astray. Did you know that you can acquire a taste for something? One of the things I'm really thrilled with my compulsive attitude and with my uh, competitive spirit that some say I might have, I'm glad that the taste of alcohol has never been appealing to me because I bet you I could be really good at it. But listen, this is an example about acquiring the taste for something. In 2017, I sat here on a Wednesday night and I shared with you a testimony that's still on our website right now that many of you have listened to. And if you go back and listen to that again, you'll go back and you'll hear that Angela liked, started liking coffee. Micah wanted coffee. 
I was making coffee. I don't drink coffee. That's the night I got struck by lightning. If you haven't heard that testimony, you can go on there and you go, oh, you just, I want to go listen to that. But I didn't drink, 2017, I didn't drink coffee. Here we are six years later. Today is the 15th day of January, the 15th day of this new year, 2023, and I have been to Dunkin' Donuts 14 days out of 15. <laughs> Do what? Yeah, for me. I didn't buy it for anybody else. I was drinking it myself. <laughs> but the point is, somebody said, well, you may have a problem. How easy it is to acquire a taste. And if somebody right now says, well, I tell you what, I'll give up my alcohol, you give up your Dunkin'. You come see me, we pray and talk about that together, and it's a deal. Church, I've given you three good reasons why I don't consume alcohol. God's called me to be a leader, and I think it compromises my ability to lead. Scripture teaches that I am not to become drunk with alcohol. And three, Scripture teaches that alcohol can lead people astray. Those are three good reasons, but I'd like to talk about what I believe is Scripture's greatest reason that would teach me that I should not drink alcohol, that I believe will teach you that you should not drink alcohol at all either. So let's go to the next scripture. We've got Romans chapter 14, verses 12 to 21 on the screen. Write that verse, write that scripture down. Before I even start reading, just write it down, because I'm going to want you to go back and read this, because you're going to want to, because I understand that what we do in the 35 minutes I get to talk is not going to be that life-changing, but God's word can be when you take it seriously and go home and really say, Lord, what do you want me to do in light of this? Romans 14, 12 to 21 says this, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For, with, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by me. Therefore, let us purpose the things that make for peace and the things by which we may edify one another. Do not destroy the works of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Now leave that up there for just a second. Go back one slide. I want you to notice. It's not good to do this if your brother stumbles, is offended, or is made weak. So just hold on to those reasons. There's three reasons right there. Verse 12 said that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us means every Christian. But each of us also means everybody else. 
Therefore, because we have to give an account of ourselves, we must resolve, verse 13 says, not to put a stumbling block in another's way. And I'm going, God, you're so funny. A stumbling block, you get it? Make somebody fall. Church, the things I go through for you, I'm, I'm laughing at God going, okay, God, you made me a walking billboard for stumbling. So church, if you've got something to learn about this, learn it, hurry, okay? Because I don't want to keep having to be God's poster child <laughs> on topics like this. Do you notice in verse 14 it said, of itself there is nothing unclean. Do you know that when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the law was fulfilled, you were cleansed and made right, and there is nothing. Everything's good. But Paul goes on to say, unless, unless, it causes your brother to stumble. Unless, it causes someone to be made weak. And you're going, Jeff, that's their problem. Why would my behavior have an impact to them? I have the right to do this. You just said that if I know Jesus as my Savior, all things are right. Scripture doesn't say I can't drink. So, Jeff, why is it my problem? God, well, God made it your problem. Did he not? He said, if you're going to do these things, don't. Don't make them weak. Don't make them fall. Love. You know, it's an interesting. I've had conversations with people this week talking about alcohol. And you know, and it's one thing. If you walk into a place and you see a fellow church member and you see them drinking, you may or may not recognize that, notice that, or care about that. You walk into that same restaurant and you see me drinking, you'll care. Now, some of you will go, yes. <laughs> right? Because what we just stated by that laughter and by that reality is when I do it, because of the position that God has placed me in, I validate it. One man should not have that kind of influence, but that's what happens. So we need to recognize that we can cause people to pursue things or do things that they didn't do. It said two times in there, don't do anything. Don't let your food or your drink, don't do anything that would cause someone else to stumble or be offended or be made weak. So Jeff, you're saying that you do not drink alcohol because you don't want to cause someone else to be offended, to become weak, or to stumble. I do not drink alcohol because God has appointed me a leader that needs to be able to effectively lead all of God's Word. Because it's a sin to be drunk. Because we can all unintentionally be led astray. And yes, when I came to know Christ, I'm called to lay down my rights and to take up His. Remember in 1 Peter, we were called to take the same mind as Christ. 
Well, let's talk about the mind of Christ as it relates to you for just a second. What if Jesus came and said, but God, I haven't done anything wrong. But God, why should my life be yielded for them? They're the ones that have made all of the mistakes. And Jesus goes, I'm not doing that. They can all just die. We'd all start going, well, that's not very loving. That's not very godly at all. But Jesus, he said, you know, I know them. I love them. And I'm taking care of them by laying down my rights. You know, Scripture teaches that Jesus laid down all royalty, all power from heaven to take up and become a man to lead us to redemption and to salvation. You're going, just so are you telling me I shouldn't drink because of loving someone else? I'm not telling you that. God is. Now, I'm seconding God's motion. Okay? Let's go to that third scripture. I think it's three. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 to 13. Let me read these. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours, your ability to do what you want because you think you can, beware of this liberty of yours becoming a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the consciences of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered by idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren, you notice all of a sudden stumbling has become sin. When you call somebody to stumble, you've sinned. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, you're going, Jeff, that talks about meat. That didn't say the word alcohol. Can I tell you that we can break all this down? Best I can tell, don't let your liberty and the word anything, get it in there. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, Jesus says that if we are guilty of leading one of his children to sin, it would be better to be dropped into the sea with a millstone hung around our necks. Jesus is pretty serious about taking care of his children. You're going, well, yeah, but I don't drink in front of kids. Do you know that you're the child of God? If we cause anybody to stumble, they're children of God. So let's summarize as we head toward a conclusion. You're going, yes, Jeff, please hurry. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. says, for though I am free, from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. But to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Paul says, for what I've been given by God, me laying down my rights is such an easy thing to do. And I do it with a purpose so that other people might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 and 24 says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things... I didn't catch all that one. You're going to have to go back. But not all things edify. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've got this one written down. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We should live our lives seeking to help people come to know Jesus. Now, I didn't, I think I've not mentioned this, but my son came and he became my scribe. And I would say stuff and he would type it in. And here's this final that statement I just made. We should live our lives seeking to help people come to know Jesus, period, is what I said. So he types it in, and he types in, you should live, we should live our lives seeking to help people come to know Jesus, punctuation mark. I'm going, no, that's not what I meant. He said, what do you mean? I mean it this way. We should live our lives seeking to help people come to know Jesus, capital P-E-R-I-O-D, period. That's what we should be doing. You come to know Jesus, you're changed by Jesus, and you are then therefore of the like mind as Jesus, and then you will live as Jesus, and Jesus never thought about himself. He laid down every right he had in order to give you freedom. And when you come to know that freedom of Jesus, lay it down. Lay down those rights so that God can use you to help other people come to know Jesus. Now, as we close, you may think that alcohol use is okay. That you have it under control. I want to encourage you finally with these two verses. Romans 13, verses 13 and 14 says this. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. When I read this early in the week, the word provision stuck out to me. 
And so I went and I did a little word study and a little research into that. What does it mean to not make provision? Well, the word provision means to set aside an amount. The word provision means to hold back for a purpose. The scripture teaches, Paul told us right there, don't make provision for sin. I believe that when we hold on to our right for alcohol, what we're saying is, is that part of me, God can't have. I'm making a provision. I'm setting it aside. I'll give God Sunday, Wednesday. I'll even try to give him some parts of Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Saturday, that's my provision time. Friday, that's my time. Can I just tell you that when you live setting aside provision, You're holding back part of you from God. You're not experiencing all of God. And you're also not loving. You're not gospel-oriented. You're not focused on the main thing that we've been called to be focused for. I wonder what God can do with a life that makes no provisions for anything. And in this moment, are you talking about alcohol? Yeah. And you could fill in the blank of the sin that you're holding on to. Don't make provision. Don't set it aside and hold on to it. Don't give God everything but. Give God everything. Now, as your pastor, that's why I don't consume alcohol. A lot of scripture. I gave you a lot. Not only do I believe that's right for me, if you ask me, I'll tell you that it's right for you. And if you don't ask me, I just told you anyway. God is good. Make no provision. Give him all of you. Every single part of you.